I have an app on my phone. I'll bet many of you do. Uh, it, uh, it allows me to monitor my investments, my retirement funds, and all of that. And so with a, a click of the button, it brings up one big black number, and that tells you what you've worked hard for all these decades. It tells you what you're worth. Now, if you were to click that same button and it, and that, and it came up as a red number instead of a black number, what would that mean? That's not good. It would mean that what you thought was a credit, credit to your account is actually a debit. It means that what you thought was to the plus side of your ledger actually falls on the minus side of your ledger. And if that were to happen, it would be a very frightening moment, wouldn't it? Pastor Julie preached so well last week on the Apostle Paul, and he had a similarly frightening moment. Because Paul had spent his entire life building up credits in his religious account. In fact, at one point, he was able to describe himself with, with no tongue-in-cheek as being blameless, spiritually blameless, according to the law. According to the religious rules of the time, Paul had a huge accumulation of points on the plus side of his spiritual ledger. And then one day, he discovered that all of his hard work amounted to nothing. That that number in his plus column was actually a big, fat, red, negative number because he had wrongly assumed that he could earn God's favor, that he could earn God's love. And the fact that he discovered is that no matter who you are, no matter how religious you are, no matter how hard you try, you can never meet God's standard because God's standard is perfection. And who, who can be perfect? Well, the answer is only one person. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life that we cannot live. And by his death, by his resurrection, Christ paid the price for our imperfection. He offered to us freely the very righteousness that Paul worked his whole life to earn. And Paul discovered this amazing, wonderful truth that righteousness, the right standing that we can have before God is never something that we can earn. It is God's free gift to us. And that's what he writes about in this section of the book of Philippians, which we have been studying. In Philippians 2, verse 8, Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all my spiritual accomplishments, all of them, and I count them as manure. That's the literal word. In fact, the literal word is even grosser than that. He said, I count them as BS in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. This was not only an important lesson Paul needed to learn, it may be the most important lesson that American Christians need to learn. Because we still live in this earned favor uh, paradigm. If I were to ask you to answer this question, what does it mean to be a Christian, how would you respond to that? Because I've asked this question perhaps thousands of times of, of people. What does it mean to you to be a Christian? And if your reply starts with something like, well, I try to be a good person. I try to obey the Ten Commandments. I try to be nice to my neighbor. I try to go to church. If the inside your head response to that question, what does it mean to be a Christian, starts with the words, I try, 
then you have fallen into the very trap the Apostle Paul had fallen into as well. Because you think that you can earn your spiritual brownie points by the things you do. And it doesn't work. It is not about I try. It is about he did. And that was Paul's life-changing discovery. It's a life-changing discovery for every person who realizes that, actually. Our only hope, Paul says, is to completely, completely trust in the free gift of salvation that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. To surrender our lives to him and to allow him to make us right before God, something we can never do for ourselves. I want you to think about it this way. This is the robe I have had forever. It is the robe that I had when our children were still at home. And it is the robe that I would wear on a cold winter day. And when our kids came out and they were chilly, they would run up to me. And I would wrap them. As it turns out, I have less material than I used to have. I would wrap them in this robe and they would just disappear. But I would wrap them in my robe and warm them up. And it is a wonderful image of the righteousness of Jesus, of his goodness, his perfection. We, when we surrender our life to him, he invites us in. He says it's like being wrapped into his robe and we are covered with his righteousness. And so when God looks upon us, he doesn't see our sin, our brokenness, our shame, our regret. What he sees is the righteousness of his son. It is a gift if you hear nothing more than this today, that is the gospel. It is the gift of God to us through his son Jesus. And you cannot earn it. You cannot try. You can only earn God, receive God's love by surrendering. But, Paul goes on to say, but even though I have this covering, even though I enjoy this righteousness by the gift of God, it doesn't mean that I'm done with living my life. It doesn't mean that I am perfect. God has done his work in me, but there is therefore work that I must do to become more and more like Christ, the Christ who gave his life to save me, the Christ who wrapped me in his righteousness. That's the theme. Paul has already touched on it when he said that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Remember that? And now we return again to that same theme in chapter 3, verse 12, where Paul writes, not that I have already obtained this, that is, this perfection, this righteousness, not that I have already obtained it or have been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And just in case we didn't catch it the first time, he repeats himself. He says, I, I'm, I'm not completely righteous. I am not perfect. I persevere to become more like Jesus. He goes on and says, brothers, I do not consider this. I do not consider to have made it my own. I'm not righteous. I'm not perfect. What a relief. If we carry that sense of having to be perfect before the Lord to discover that even Paul said, I'm not this. I have not yet attained it. Not even close. But then comes the punchline in one of my favorite passages in this book. Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal uh, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I, it's such a great affirmation. I want you to read it with me. Let's bring it back up on the screen one more time. 
Here we go. Read this together. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How often after a, some sporting event on TV have you seen a, a post-game a, a interview between a reporter and an athlete, this world-class athlete, and the reporter will stand up and say something like, if you could give one piece of advice to the amateur, what would it be? This is that moment in Paul's career. This is the only time in all of his writings that he ever said, this is one thing I suggest to you. This is one thing I suggest you do. So if, if we want to follow the model of Paul, and he says earlier in, the chap, in this passage, imitate me, be an imitator of me. So if we want to follow his example, if we, we, we want to model our lives after the Apostle Paul, then our ears ought to perk up when he says, this one thing I do. Of course, actually, it's two things, which is very typical of Paul. He, here's what he said. First of all, forget what lies behind. Say that with me. Forget what lies behind. Forget the past, he says. Forget it. Now, what was he talking about? His shame, his sin, his failure, his regrets, perhaps. And you say, Paul, did he have those things? Absolutely. There, there's much from Paul's past that he would have regretted as he recalled it. I want you to remember this. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He hated Jesus. He hated his church. He proudly held the coats of the men who stoned to death Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He considered an honor because he felt that Christians were a wicked cult that needed to be destroyed. Paul by his own volition, went from house to house, arresting and harassing Christians. He was a, no doubt complicit in the death of many who followed Christ. We read today of horrible stories of gunmen who walk into churches and open fire on believers. It is a sad state of affairs that we need a police officer who is standing out there, standing watch over us while we worship God. We are grateful for them. We have become dear friends with them. We thank God for them. But we, we could never have imagined such a thing 20 years ago, could we? And, and then you remember, but Paul was one of those murderers. Paul was one of those murderers. He considered Christianity a blight. And he was committed to wiping it out. So imagine his astonishment. When the risen Christ appeared to Paul on the road to, to Damascus, where he was headed to arrest yet more Christians, Paul was struck down, struck blind, perhaps even struck mute for a moment, and shocked to discover that this Jesus, whom he considered a fraud, was real and alive. And even more shocking, that same Jesus was about to call Paul to be his greatest of all apostles. You talk about grace. But I want you to think about how heavy must have been the guilt that rested upon Paul over what he had done. How heavy the burden he must have carried. All of those Christians that he persecuted. All of those children that he orphaned. Think of the weight of shame he carried when he discovered the truth about Jesus. Shame. Regret. 
failure. It is the heaviest of heavy loads to carry. And I know, because I think back to some of the things that I have done in my life, in my past, and I regret them deeply. Oh, if I could change the past. Oh, if I could only have a do-over. There are memories about my past that harass me. Is there anyone here that could relate to that? Don't raise your hand, but I'll bet there are one or two of you. Your, your memories of your past harass you. Do you have something that, you, if you aren't careful, ends up playing a loop in your mind? Over and over again you think about it. You know you're forgiven. You know you've been set free. You know that Christ has cleansed you, but the devil loves nothing more than to dig it up and stir it up and cause you to stew in the juices of your past failures and regrets. And Paul says, forget about it. Forget about it. It's in the past. Have you confessed it to Jesus? Have you repented of it? Do you believe that Jesus died to save you from the poison of your regret and shame and failure and sin? If so, then forget about it. Every time it starts to slip back in your mind, he says, rebuke it. Don't give it a foothold. Your shame, your failure, your guilt, your regret, it has no place in your life anymore. Christ has delivered you from that. And by the way, Paul wasn't, didn't come up with this stuff on his own. He wasn't the only one that taught this. A guy named Jesus once taught this. In one of my favorite verses in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, the very last verse, chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What did he mean by that? I, I love this verse. He said, in order to plow a field, the farmer had to put both of his hands firmly on the plow, pick a point in the distance, and aim at that in order to keep his oxen pulling a straight line. And if he looked back to see how he was doing or where he was from, he would zigzag his way all over the field. How often do you look back over your shoulder and zigzag your way all over God's field? We should learn from our past. We cannot live in our past. Jesus and Paul both said the same thing. Forget the past. Forget what lies behind. Forget about it. And then he goes on and he says, and strain forward to what lies ahead. I love this image. It's the image of a racer, a marathon runner. Strain forward to what lies ahead. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, I persevere toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Two weeks ago, my friend and, and an elder in our church, Bart Brinstad, undertook an incredible adventure. He participated in a rowing race called 7048 which stands for 70 miles in 48 day, hours. 70 miles, 48 hours. It starts in Tacoma and ends in Port Townsend. And other than a few 30-minute breaks along the way, the plan is to row 70 miles in two days. Bart trained for a year, five days a week, every morning, rain or shine. The longest he told me that he had ever rowed was 24 miles which meant that 70 miles was going to be pretty daunting, but he went for it. At the 55-mile mark, 
he was hit by high winds and dangerous seas. So dangerous that the Coast Guard had to rescue two of the vessels. And so they had to suspend the race at 55 miles. Bart's response was, oh well, next year. May I just say, 55 miles seems a long enough race. That's a lot of rowing, pretty darn impressive. But when you talk to Bart, he will tell you that near the end of that race, every single stroke was a strain. But he had his eye on a prize, and so he kept going. Paul had an eye on a prize of becoming ultimately what Christ had saved him and created him to be. It wasn't, again, it wasn't his salvation. That prize he already had. That prize had already been gifted to him. But Paul knew that we are saved from something and for something. He was saved from his sinful past, but he was also saved for a life of purpose, a life that would make a difference, a, a life that would be a reflection on Jesus. And that kind of purposeful life, he says, is hard work. It is a strain at times to live the way Christ calls us to live. It is a strain at times to take our gift of salvation and then shape it into a life that honors and points to Jesus and fulfills the destiny for which we were created. I spoke this week to a group of our 33 seniors. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know how many number, the, the 33 is how many years I've been here. And this, uh, and this, according to their leaders, is among the finest of the graduating classes we've ever sent out. They love Christ, they are spirit-filled, they are faithful, they are engaged in ministry. And of course, we're praying, God, continue that. As they go into university and beyond, Lord, continue that work in them. The question is, in those years to come, will they continue to put the work necessary into becoming the person that God created them and saved them to be? And I pray that it will be so, and I know you do too. When I was a kid, I played Little League Baseball for a team called Jed's Tiger Sharks. And I played with a kid that I'll call Joey. Joey's dad was one of the coaches, and he brutalized his son. If Joey didn't make a play, if Joey overthrew first, overthrew first if, if he struck out or he got tagged out, his dad would rage at him in front of all of us. And I remember even as a kid feeling so sorry for Joey because I could tell how hard he worked. And I don't think it was because he loved the game. It was because he wanted to please his dad. He wanted to secure his father's approval to earn his love and honestly it was I think even more striking to me because of my experience with my own dad he was at every game I played he was out there cheering me on he never yelled at me when I missed a play he never expressed disappointment at me when I struck out I knew my dad loved me and so I played my heart out I played hard not to earn his love, but to please the one who already loved me. This is what Paul is saying. This is the race that he was running. Before he had begun, been running this religious marathon in order to please God, in order to earn his love. 
And now, because he had experienced the love of his heavenly father as he had never done before, he ran for love. He ran to please the one whose love he already had. And he was giving it everything he had. My question to you is, are you giving it everything you have in order to love the one who's already loved you? Are you putting any effort, any strain into becoming better the person that Christ designed and saved you to be, to fulfill the destiny for which you were created. I was thinking recently of a, of a friend of mine, and candidly, he is spiritually lazy. He is a lazy Christian. He believes that Jesus saved him, but he, he is resting on his spiritual laurels. There's very little evidence in his life, in his schedule, in his, in his relationship, in his checkbook, that he is putting any effort into reaching the prize of God's upward call in Christ Jesus. And it is such a waste. He is missing out on the exhilaration that comes with throwing yourself fully into the race of life. And he's a lousy example to those who know that he is a Christian because they see so little evidence of change in his life. God did not create us. He did not save us. He did not gift us to spectate. He created us, saved us, and gifted us to compete. And so Paul says to us, forget what lies behind. Strain forward to what lies ahead and discover the exhilaration that comes from running the race of your life. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will take these words and you will speak to our hearts just as we need to receive this gift. There are some of us, God, who live in our past. They live in our shame and our regret, our failures, our scorn. God, we need to hear your call to forget about it. There are some of us who live in the past glories, too. What we accomplished, how much we made, what big shots we were. We need to forget about that, too. Help us, Lord, to put that behind us and turn instead our hearts and our purpose towards reaching the goal that you have laid before us. Help us to strain, not to earn your love, we already have it, but because of your love, because we want to please you who are pleased with us, pleased to save us. Would you stir in every one of us the next step that we might take, that next straining step that we might take so that we might become more and more your perfect creation. Only you can do this, Jesus. This is a work of your spirit, not of our self-determination, not of our grit. And so take these words by your spirit and transform us today. For Christ's sake. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. 
To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. We're